from the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough brought to you by Something in the Water Brewing. My name is Ben Grant. JB's still on vacation. I promise he'll be back at some point. Uh, he's extended his vacation. I, I don't have a return date yet, but I love that uh, that he's off enjoying himself. I'm going to get you set for the Ottawa Red Blacks, the Toronto Argonauts finally returning home after what seems like months on the road, and it almost was months on the road. This is not a real background behind me. I am in Cincinnati this week. I did ask, just for entertainment's sake, just so you didn't have to spend the entire podcast, if you're watching on YouTube, looking at my hotel room background, I, I did ask if I could go to Paycor and record there. They didn't really see what was in it for them, and I, I think that's totally fair because the answer was nothing. So I put the virtual background up there. So we can just imagine this uh, this being a nice recording location instead of you staring at a brown wall, uh, which is currently behind me. We got a lot to get to today, and before we get into our lineup, I want to tell you about something in the water brewing this is the chance. We've got some home games coming up. It's time for you to get back to something in the water. They've got a great patio set up. It's fantastic pregame. Last time we had a home game, which again was ages ago, uh, it, it was so much fun to be able to go out and, and grab a drink and, and uh, you know, enjoy ourselves socially. I know a lot of our listeners, uh, of course, enjoy uh, Longboat Pale Ale, the beer that was made for fans of the Double Blue. So if you want to go and do that, um, it's, it's a fantastic opportunity. They're just steps from... Lamport Stadium, where the Argos practice. They are also just steps from BMO Field, where the Argos play their home game. And of course, this one coming up against the Ottawa Red Blacks, Sunday night, 7 o'clock. I uh, definitely hope to see you there. On the card today, we're going to talk about Chad Kelly. We're going to talk about Adarius Pickett. Obviously, those are two big issues. Their injuries, their status coming into this week. We're going to talk about the PFF scores, which... We're somewhat flattering in some ways for the Argos. We'll get into that. Power rankings. The Argos dropping down to number two in a lot of people's rankings. Where should they be, in my opinion? Uh, the passing of uh, Zenon and Andrew Sishin, uh, which is really sad to see this week. I'll tell you a little bit about him if you don't know this Argo legend. And I want to talk uh, one last time about changing practice facilities, which the Argos had to endure once more this week. All that more coming up on this episode of the Exes and Argos podcast. All right, let's get into things first. Chad Kelly. So that's the question everyone's asking. Is Chad Kelly going to play? Should Chad Kelly play? So I don't have the answers. He did practice full today, which obviously is a good sign for Argos fans. I think for me, the way I look at it is you do not want him practicing full if he's not 100%. And you don't want him playing if he's not able to practice full 100%. And so... I think what it tells us, the fact that Chad Kelly was a full go at practice today, getting first team reps, like I think to me, that tells you the Toronto Argonauts are very comfortable with the situation in Chad Kelly's ankle injury because I think you know how much he means to the Toronto Argonauts. The coaching staff, the the front office, they're very much aware uh, of how important Chad Kelly is to this organization. If they don't feel 100% about him, they don't have him out there. They they rest him entirely. They get Cameron Dukes, Brian Scott picking up all the reps. They don't have Chad doing anything. That's what would make the most sense, obviously, if he was even, you know, even a little bit unsure. And so to me, have him go full. I think tomorrow's practice, the the Thursday practice is really where you're going to see it. If he didn't respond well today, so he might have felt 100% going into the practice today. Maybe he didn't respond well to it. Tomorrow there's some swelling. They sit him out. He's limited or doesn't practice tomorrow. I think that tells you it's time to rest him. You just you have to just sit him for the game. You put in Dukes. You put in Scott. I just don't think there's another option. I, even if it's feeling great Friday, Saturday. I just think the way he responds from today's practice will tell you whether or not Chad Kelly's going to play. And so for this podcast, I, I can't really say with certainty, but I feel like if they even even thought this was going to be a possibility, 
I, I don't think he would have practiced full today. So to me, that is the answer. Now, um, we'll, we'll get into more injury detail when I go through the injury report a few segments from now, and I'll include some of the other guys. But in terms of Chad, the most important player on this Toronto Argonauts team, as it stands right now, I expect to see Chad Kelly playing for the Argos against the Red Blacks on Sunday. But we got to see how that ankle responds. I can't see a world in which he's able to practice full all week and then they decide not to play him Sunday. To me, that just doesn't add up. So I, I don't think that's what we're going to see. PFF scores. So you're probably thinking there's no way any Toronto Argonauts made it onto the team of the week for PFF this week. Uh, and I get why you're thinking that. But let's not forget, the defense actually did play well. I know the run defense gave up a ton of yards. But remember, their yards per carry was the exact same that Toronto had. And I don't think you look back at that game and say, well, the Argonauts didn't run well. They did. It's just, it just kind of gets lost in the fact that because Calgary had a billion carries for a billion yards, it seems like the Argos didn't play well. But they were just on the field a lot. The Argos were out there a lot because the offense wasn't sustaining drives. It was a lot of two and outs. And so you're going to end up with, uh, with a lot of plays. And, and the, the play differential between the two teams is massive. And so that's where you kind of leave thinking, yeah, neither the offense or the defense played well. In rewatching this game, the defense was okay. They were frustrating at the end. It wasn't certainly one of their best games. It was frustrating because you really wanted them to get off the field. But you almost have to point the finger more at the offense for that because from the very first quarter, the Toronto offense wasn't able to sustain drives. The The time of possession uh, was nowhere close. The number of plays run was nowhere close. And so it is hard to point your finger at the defense at the end. So... Two Argos defensive players made the PFF Team of the Week. Uh, Jonathan Jones, linebacker, who did have a really solid game. And that's the thing I like about, about PFF, and it, it's not perfect. You don't necessarily have stat leaders always on the... You know, sometimes you do. Obviously, if a guy has a three-touchdown game, there's a pretty good chance he played well, and the stats are going to back up the PFF score. It doesn't always work like that. Like Robertson Daniel, who led the team in tackles by far, like a huge game in terms of tackles for a halfback, he doesn't make this team. He actually played a, a decent game, but Jonathan Jones, when you look at it play-by-play, assignment-by-assignment, does deserve to be there. He didn't stand out the way that Robertson Daniel did. He didn't stand out the way... Uh, that, that some of the Argos, other DBs did in terms of getting in on tackles. Josh Haggerty, Mechie's in there. Uh, that, you know, to me, um, the Jonathan Jones pick uh, validates, you know, that that is what I'm looking for from PFF. That's what I want from the scores because it's similar to what I see when I watch the film. And again, I don't always agree. Sometimes I'll watch the film and I think a guy played great and he gets a terrible PFF score or vice versa. But this week, it, it does align for me. Um, the... Other Toronto Argonaut defensive player was Royce Mechie. That makes sense again. And if you look back at you look back at the way the DBs played, yes, it's unfortunate to see them in on so many tackles. And I know we saw some DBs get bowled over by Mills in that game, especially near the end. That's not their job. That's not what you're expecting them to do. You don't have halfbacks out there. Uh, where you're expecting them to come in and and level running backs. This is not their thing. Now, Royce Mechie, remember, he played most of that game out of position. Once Adarius Pickett went down, which is early, early second quarter, Royce Mechie moved to the Sam spot. So I, I didn't actually think he looked that comfortable. I thought he did play a really solid game, especially on rewatch. I think I think I'd, I was a little unfair in my, my post-game evaluation of Royce Mechie because... I still think he looked uncomfortable there, but you, but in watching uh, on the rewatch the second time, what I didn't see from Royce Mechie was hesitation. I didn't see him unsure of what he was doing. It, to me, more was a, a body language thing, and it's just a guy like looking around, doing a lot of left and rights. Like, am I in the right spot? Am I here? But he was, you know, he actually played a really solid game. So I, I think tip of the hat to Royce Mechie playing out of position to have such a solid game, to be in there, in the mix, being sent as a blitzer, which is not something he gets to do a lot. Um, you know, playing in for, for Adarius, picking that Sam linebacker spot, absolutely deserving of the, the PFF team of the week. So only two Argos. It's not often that we've had only two Argonauts uh, throughout the course of this season, especially getting shut out on the offensive side of the ball. But 
No surprise there. You can't blame PFF. They just did not play well offensively. I don't think there was any single player you can look at offensively and say, oh, yeah, they deserve to be on the, the team of the week. It just, it just wasn't there. Let's get into the power rankings. So power ranking, uh, the, the purpose of power rankings for most media outlets is debate. You want to talk about it? That's what I love about the power rankings week to week. We don't, we don't need to do that, but I, I like that they're there and I like that they're different from the standings. They should be. We, we've got standings. You can, you can click on standings. You can go to cfl.ca, click on standings and see them at any time. That's not what the power rankings are. It's supposed to be a, a, an opinion. People that study the game, that know the game, that know the league really well. They're making their, their voting, their whatever the system is. Uh, the power rankings I participated in at three down nation we have all of the different writers and contributors who are contributing and and ranking teams one through nine every week and you have differences in opinion there should be differences in opinion it's sports that's that's the beauty of it it's not it's not just math where you can say well four is more than three it doesn't work like that and in looking at the way that the winnipeg blue bombers just crushed the BC Lions and knowing what a good defense BC has and knowing what a good team that is, a lot of voters were, I think, justified in having the Winnipeg Blue Bombers at one. And most of the power rankings do this week. I myself, I, I'm not sure I would have the Blue Bombers at one. I think I still have the Argos at one, but I think it's just a, as good an argument for Winnipeg as it is for Toronto. The way I view it as Toronto has one loss, and their only loss is when their starting quarterback, who is also their, the most important player on their team, is gone for the majority of the game, for, for three quarters of the game. When he went down with injury, the score was tied. Uh, they had just scored a touchdown. He comes back out for the next drive, and that's when he gets hurt. And so for me, if they were one the next week and or the, the previous week, and I had them at one the previous week, I don't think you can take the Calgary game and say, well, that's not, you know, that's not, that's not a good Toronto Argonauts team. It's true, but it's because they're missing their best player. And so for me, I throw out the Calgary Toronto game because Chad Kelly's not playing. And instead I look at BC and Winnipeg and say, yes, the Winnipeg result was highly impressive. Was it so much better that I would have ranked them ahead of Toronto the previous week. And for me, the answer is no. The undefeated Toronto Argonauts, to me, is better than a two-loss Winnipeg Blue Bombers team. Even with Toronto's one loss, I don't really attribute that, or I don't really consider that in the power rankings because of the fact that they were playing without their best player, without their quarterback. The same way I would be with Caleros if... If Calaris had been injured in the first quarter or early second quarter and BC had gone on to win that game, I, I don't think I, I don't think I hold that against Winnipeg the same way uh, that I would if Calaris had played the full game like the first time BC and Winnipeg met. That I did hold against Winnipeg. As much as I like the Bombers as a team, I, I wasn't going to give them a, any credit because they lost fair and square to uh, the BC Lions while healthy. So uh, that's the way I see the power rankings. But if you think Winnipeg deserves to be number one, I have no problem with it. They played, I think, the best complete game of the season. And while they do have losses, I don't think anyone in the CFL has played a better game than they did last week against BC. So if you're using that as part of your evaluation, I totally get it. No issue with it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Zenon Enderstition, uh, who passed away this past week. Uh, former Toronto Argonaut and actually spent in total, he had two stints with the Argos, spent in total, uh, I believe, 10 seasons with the Toronto Argonauts. And uh, and so, therefore, has uh, still a lot of Toronto uh, Argonauts memories and, and records and, and uh, fans, of course, remember him very fondly. Um, in terms of the, the numbers that stand out to me uh, and, and his career, so he came into the league uh, 
I want to say so. Actually, I've got I've got info here that I can share with you. He, he was in the 1970 draft. He's he's a kid born in Germany, came to Canada uh, as a kid, went to high school in Oakville, uh, ended up getting drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. He was a ninth round selection back when they used to go on forever, round after round in the in the NFL draft. Uh, ended up getting released before the start of the season. Toronto picked him up, and he spends the next I think seven seasons with the Argos before going down to play a season with Kansas City. Ends up coming back to the CFL, does a stint in Hamilton, back with the Argos, spends a bit of time in Edmonton, uh, and puts up some phenomenal, phenomenal numbers. So uh, 215 field goals stands out to me. 61,000 yards in punting stands out to me. And I think the one that impresses me the most is he still, after all this time, is tied for the, the record of longest punt, which was a 108-yard boot, which it's just going to be really tough uh, to bring that record down. And so really sad to, to lose a legend uh, like Zen and, and um, you know, looking back at, at his Argos career, especially this year being the 150th, we're seeing so much footage uh, thanks to the group of guys that have put out the top 150 plays over the 150 years of Argonauts history, you're seeing highlights from those teams and, and memories are coming back. And, you know, he's, he's not a player I remember watching. I didn't really start watching the Argos until his last season. And it just doesn't, doesn't stand out for me, but I was very aware of him growing up because of the numbers that he was able to produce as a, as a kicker, as a, as a punter. Uh, and of course, with that 108 yard punt that will, I think stand for a long time to come, but yeah, sad to sad to lose a player like that. Anytime um, we have to say goodbye to to someone like Zen and Andersen. All right, let's talk about the practice facilities. I believe this is going to be the last week for a little while where the Argos have to be away from Lamport Stadium. A couple of practices on the road uh, back at Michael Power back at Lamport Stadium for the last two practices for walkthrough at the end of the week, um, getting a little bit more into routine. And I believe, I don't know the Lamport Stadium schedule, but typically how this will work now is they'll be able to now stay at Lamport until, I guess, late in the season when they start having to outfit Lamport Stadium for the bubble, uh, where it becomes then an indoor facility. So I, I, I think, unless there are other conflicts I don't know about, this is going to be the end for them. Um, and I, I don't I don't blame the energy level that we saw last week from the Argonauts uh, on moving practice facilities. I talked about it in the pregame walkthrough last week as being a, a contributing factor, and I still think it is. I think anytime you change routine, I think it does contribute. I think it's a disadvantage. And this week, again, they're dealing with that a little bit. For me personally, I, I think there are far more variables. There are other things that can throw you off your game far more than than practice facility and where you are. But I don't want to dismiss it entirely. And so I thought, again, to be fair, going through it, they are practicing at Michael Power for a couple of days. I got to bring it up one more time. Uh, it, they don't have any issues with crowd noise or trying to uh, simulate that this week because the game is finally at home. This is the, the first the first week in, in well over a month that they don't have to worry about that, don't have to think about crowd noise. So that's nice. But it will be nice for them to get back to Lamport Stadium uh, for, for Thursday, Friday practice um, after... Uh, after having, or I think it's actually, is it, I think it's Friday, Saturday practice uh, after having to practice at Michael Power for the last little while. All right, it's time for the injury update. Uh, I'll give you my best on this. I'll give you my best in terms of what I'll see. This is tough for me because I'm not at practice this week. And usually I get the injury report after at least having watched one practice in person. And here I have not watched them practice. So I've got the data. Uh, you know, I've, I, I'll give you my, my thoughts on it. But this is a far less reliable uh, view of the injury report than we usually get from me for the pregame walkthrough. So let me go through it. Let's start on the offensive line. So Isaiah Cage, uh, who was a healthy scratch last week, practiced full. And I, I want to uh, pair that up with uh, uh, Travion Tate, um, who was limited today with a knee injury. I think the combination of those, when we look at that, suggests to me that we might see Isaiah Cage back in the starting lineup at left tackle this week. 
uh, Trevion Tate, uh, Tate had been playing very well in Cage's absence. He had his worst game of the season last week. I don't, I don't think there's much question about that. He just didn't look himself. And I assume that's probably because he was dealing with, with the knee injury, which um, has kept him limited in practice this week. So we'll see how this progresses throughout the week. But as it stands now with one practice in the books, I think you're going to see Isaiah Cage back in the starting lineup at left tackle because why not? It makes sense. Cage has been playing really well. You've got Tate coming off a game in which he didn't play well and he's nursing an injury. Uh, both of these things fit beautifully together. Rest Tate. Don't even dress him. Let, let him rest. Let him recover. Uh, have Cage start. Have some other guys filling in. Uh, also on the offensive line, Darius Araco, who missed last week's game due to non-injury reasons, was able to practice full. Great that he's back at practice. I actually thought Nicastro handled himself fairly well in the middle, but it just was, it was the worst game for the Argos line as a whole. And that's sometimes what happens when you've got moving pieces like that. They've been playing so well all season, giving up seven sacks for the entire season, first six games, and then three in one game. It tells you that there are issues on the offensive line. So I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Sirocco back at center. I think probably Nicastro is back at the right guard spot. Everything else probably stays the same unless, unless they think about bringing Darius Bladuck back into the mix. And again, you want to be fully confident that he's healthy with that. But Bladuck not even appearing on the injury report, uh, to me, uh, I, I know it's hard to say sometimes, but I, I would expect, knowing how the line played last week, I would expect that that he'll be back um, as, a, as a full goal at some point soon, if it's not this week, where they pull him finally off that extended six game and he's able to go. Uh, elsewhere on the on the offense, so you've got Demonte Coxey uh, who went full again, and we saw him looking pretty good at practice last week. To me, with him going full again today, I, I would guess that he's back to as close to 100% as you can get to uh, in the course of the regular season. I think Coxey is going to be full go. Uh, Devaris Daniels with the knee was limited today. He's such an important piece. If if Devaris can't go. Uh, this week, and we'll have to see how this goes later in the week. I, I've, there's no indication to me that he won't, other than appearing on the injury report as limited. But I think if Devaris can't go, probably what you'll see there is uh, Phillips uh, bounce over to uh, the the boundary slot. Uh, I, I think that's probably the most natural progression for guys. Um, and then you probably would look to start Tommy Neal then uh, along with Curly Gittens Jr. And maybe you have Jeremiah Hedell uh, as the wideout on the other side, Coxie on one side. So you still got two Canadian receivers. And the reason I, the reason I would go with Tommy, um, um, with Tommy Neald uh, as a replacement for Cam Phillips, who I'm moving over to the other side, is that I really like Neald as the inside guy. I actually like him best at Gittins' spot, but we're not going to be moving Gittins around. But I think if for some reason Tavares can't go, that's probably what I do, where I bring back Coxey, who's out wide to the boundary, move Phillips over, who's in the boundary slot, and then I go with Neald, Gittins, and, um, and where am I here? And uh, Jeremiah Hedell uh, on the outside to the field side. And then I have one of either Unger or Brissett backing up uh, that, that Z spot. So for receivers, that's kind of what I'm looking at this week. Chad Kelly, we already talked about going full, um, and we'll have to see how that progresses. That's all we got on the offensive side of the ball. For the defense, Jared Brinkman didn't practice. That's not surprising. I expect... He, just based on what Coach Dinwiddie said post game last week, I kind of expect Jared Brinkman to go on the six game injured list. I don't think there's, I don't think there's any harm in doing that. If if he ends up way ahead of schedule, you can bring him off early. I don't think that's going to be an issue. But I would I would put him on the six game. Uh, Coach Dinwiddie said uh, we're we're looking at some extended time for him, whereas he didn't say that about Pickett. Uh, he didn't say that about Chad Kelly. So that's the move I'd expect to see there. Uh, elsewhere on the defensive line, Thomas Costigan able to go full. That's a great sign. They, they definitely could use Costigan back. Uh, and then a couple of DBs on that list. Jamal Peters as a healthy scratch. I definitely think you're going to see him back. He was able to go full. I think the way they move around the DBs this week is going to be interesting. Again, I wish I were able to be there at practice and see exactly what they did with them. I don't. I'm just guessing at this point. 
but I would imagine you're now moving Quantas Stiggers over to a halfback spot or the Sam linebacker spot, maybe. Uh, I think you want Royce Mechie back in that safety spot. I know he played well at Sam, but he's such a good safety. He was one of the best safeties in the league so far this year coming into last week's game. I think you want as few moving parts as possible. So for me... Uh, I put Royce Mechie back at safety. I bump Stiggers over to halfback and move Robertson Daniel down to Sam. Or if they feel that Stiggers can get up to speed fast enough, I put him in at that Sam position. I think he's got the right physicality. I think he's got a great build for a Sam linebacker in the CFL. So that wouldn't be something that I'd mind seeing. And then you have McFadden and Peters out wide. Uh, DeVars Daniels. Uh, sorry, not Tavares Daniels, um, Darius Pickett, the, the other DB who we knew was going to appear on this injury list. So he didn't practice at all today uh, with the hip injury. I personally think we're not going to see him this week. I just think that either Chad Kelly or Darius Pickett, if they if either one of them had not practiced today, I was prepared to say, keep them out this week. Don't expect to see them this week. Uh, we know Chad Kelly went full. It makes sense now that you, you go ahead and dress him unless there's a setback. With Darius Pickett, he's too important a player. If he's only ends up registering like one practice where he can go limited or full, He's a huge loss, but he's not anywhere near the loss of, of Chad Kelly because they have so many other DBs that they can move around and, and make work on the defense. Nobody that can be a Darius Pickett. They, there is going to be a drop-off at Sam, but I just think he's too important a player to, to play around with. If he can, can't go full today and he, and he didn't even practice at all, let him sit. They got the bye week next week. Give a Darius Pickett a couple weeks to rest. He's such a physical player. This is not the same thing as as a quarterback. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you give him those extra couple weeks. Uh, is that all we got on the injury list? Oh, the last thing, Jordan Williams at linebacker uh, was able to go full. And so you expect his workload to, to increase. He'll be back in there, I'm sure, this week. Uh, looking at the other side of the ball, not a lot of injuries for Ottawa. It's great to see Braylon Addison back practicing full. I, I'm a, a fan of Braylon Addison's game. I think he's a really dangerous weapon uh, for Ottawa. I'd love to see him out on the field for the Red Blacks this week. I think that would be exciting uh, for Red Blacks fans. It's, it's it's annoying for the Argos because it's just an extra weapon that you have to worry about. Uh, Nate Bahar, uh, limited with the Achilles. Um, uh, obviously, Nate Bahar, wide receiver. That's something to monitor. Drew, Dezer, Drew Desjardins, unable to practice with the ankle injury. That would be a huge loss uh, for the Red Blacks. Their offensive line has played all right uh, so far this season. I think the loss of Desjardins would be one that's really tough uh, to manage. Uh, I, I think... They, they just don't have enough consistency across the line. I, I do like the, the play they've been getting from their center right guard combo. I think that's gone quite well. I'm just not sure all the, those, that interior with Desjardins there too. I think that interior was pretty solid and it set a really nice shelf for Crum as a young quarterback who then didn't have to worry about guys getting pushed into his face. And if Desjardins isn't able to go, I think that's something that I'm going to try and scheme for, which I'll set you up for a little bit more in OCDC when we get there uh, in just a second. Pardon me while I, this is where JB would normally talk while I, I grab a drink here. All right. Uh, let's get into the game preview. Uh, this one, this is a, a pretty big game for the Ottawa Red Blacks, and it's a way more important game for Toronto than last week's game was for uh, the Argos against the Calgary Stampeders. There's a big difference between playing a divisional game and playing an east-west game. Uh, it, it, it doesn't impact the standings the same way. It doesn't have the double effect of moving another team back or having another team catch you. Um, this is a big game for the Argos, but it's a very big game for the Red Blacks. You look at the standings below the Argos, and it's anyone. It's up in the air. And a loss this week for Ottawa especially if you end up uh, seeing some separation, uh, it, it's going to be tough uh, for the Red Blacks and it's going to put a lot of pressure on them over the next few weeks. So I think if you're the Red Blacks, you're coming into this game saying, look, we got, you know, Toronto is spinning a little bit. They suffered their first loss of the season last week. They're off the routine a little bit. They're returning home for the first time. Maybe we can catch them. Um, and uh, I kind of look at it the other way and I think, 
Argos players are coming off that loss last week embarrassed. That is not Toronto Argonaut football. I don't think there's anyone that plays for the Argos who looks at that game last week in Calgary and is like, yeah, that's fine. Uh, they were embarrassed. You could see it. Uh, you could see it in post game. You saw it from uh, like when I talked to Wendy McManus post game. Uh, the the way that the way and he, he used the word embarrassed uh, and he used uh, he took blame on himself and he talked about uh, Calgary's running game and the responsibility he had as a linebacker. There's a lot of pride in this room. There's a lot of talent, but it's veteran talent and it's it's leadership that you've got on both sides of the ball. I think you are going to see an Argos team that comes in this week and they are looking to send a message. I think this is an unfortunate week to be the Ottawa Red Blacks because I actually, I don't think Ottawa is as bad a team as a lot of people think. And no, I don't think Dustin Crum is the Dustin Crum we saw in the first couple games Ottawa played, but I, I'm not sure he's the Dustin Crum that um, has been struggling over the last couple weeks either. I think he's somewhere in the middle, and I think the team is somewhere in the middle. And I think this is a team that can sneak up and, and beat anybody. And I think if the Argos weren't on their game this week, I think it might be a ball game. I don't think we're going to get that because of the level of pride you see in Argo's leadership on this team. Um, they're just not going to let what happened last week happen again, regardless of whether or not Chad Kelly plays, but especially if Chad Kelly plays. It's time for OCDC. OCDC is brought to you by the Business Barbershop and Spa. They invite you to experience Etobicoke's premier licensed men's grooming lounge for hair, face, and body care. They celebrate 10 years in the Kingsway. And if you go and get a service from the Business Barbershop and Spa, you will be entered to win a $200 gift card. All you got to do is mention Argos All About the Business. It is right at Royal York Subway in the Kingsway. It's a great place to get your hair done, to get a shave, just to relax, whatever you want. Uh, it's get taken care of. I, trust me on this. I've been going there for a long time. I love that place. Uh, the haircut, the shave, the, the treatments, scalp massage I had. The you know the, It wasn't the last time I was there. It was the time before fantastic you feel taken care of you leave that place feeling like a million bucks so if you get the opportunity uh, the business barbershop and spa in the Kingsway uh, you won't regret it all right let's get into OCDC we'll start off with the bad guys with the Ottawa Red Blacks I think so offensively for the Ottawa Red Blacks I think you have to force the Toronto Argonauts to spy Dustin Crum I think it's I think it's a huge detriment to a CFL defense whose whose strength is in that in that front six to have a spy assigned. I said this a few weeks ago. There's an article I wrote on Three Down Nation a few weeks ago when I was looking at a few um, a few Dustin Crumb plays and and how Calgary had uh, Judge spying Dustin Crumb and how I felt that was a waste. Judge being what I think is I, I think he's the best player on Calgary's defense. And to have him spy Crum, to me, I think is giving the other team a huge advantage. And so in this game, suppose you had Wyndham McManus spying Crum or, or Jordan Williams or Jonathan Jones uh, spying Crum. To me, that is a loss for the Argos because you're taking one of the best players on the field and you're, you are telling Ottawa what he's doing. You're telling Ottawa what his job is on that play. And one of the strengths the Argos have is in being able to disguise what they do. So I think there are plays, certainly maybe a few occasions, a few key downs where you might assign a spy as the Argos. But I think otherwise, that's that's not the way you do it. And so for Ottawa, I want to force them to, I want to force them to spy. Because you can bet they're repping that this week. You can bet they're repping spy defenses. You do when one of the best things the, your opponent does is, is run their quarterback. And it's crum. Crumb's not fast. It's not like he's he's a blazing four four runner. He's not. He's 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 just as fast as a bunch of other guys in the league. He's a Taylor Cornelius. He's he's a Chad Kelly. He's, you know, he's a good athlete, but not a guy you have to spy to shut down. And so, with that, 
Having seen other teams do it, I guarantee you Toronto is prepping for it that way. So as Ottawa, I want to run Crumb early a lot and force them to start spying and then try and take advantage of that. Have five receiver concepts, go empty, and don't use the middle of the field. So throw away from their spy. So now we're flooding to one side of the field um, or, or mirror that. Have concepts, have have outbreaking concepts to both sides of the field where you've, you've got a post, you've got an out, you've got Got a, sorry, you've got a corner, you've got an out, you've got a flat route um, in, a, in a three receiver set. And then you're wasting that one Argonaut player in the middle of the field. So for me, as Ottawa, that's my plan this week. Force Toronto to spy Crum and then freeze their linebacker in the middle and then go away from him. And what you're doing now is you have 12 players taking on 11 on the defensive side of the ball. It's what Ottawa did to Calgary a few weeks ago. That's what I would try and do to Toronto this week. In terms of the Ottawa defense, I actually think Ottawa's defense matches up fairly well. I think what I want to do defensively is I really want to try and encourage Toronto to play to the boundary side. They they typically do a little bit more anyway, but I think there is some weakness, and you'll see this when I get to, to the Argos passing attack uh, in just a second, but I think there is some vulnerability on the field side in coverage for the Ottawa Red Blacks. And so the way I want to try and dictate that is I'm going to send a lot of heat from the boundary side. Uh, I want to see secondary blitzes. I want to see boundary half, boundary corner blitzes. Uh, and the reason I do that is most quarterbacks, when they see a blitz coming, will throw to that side of the field. And I will have coverage rolling over that way. And so this is where you need, for Ottawa, they need their, their safety play. They need their linebacker play to be on point. And I think I try and pinch some of those. And so I anticipate some of those quick throws. So uh, what I want to see is a boundary side halfback blitz and I'm rolling coverage to that side and maybe I have a linebacker undercutting. Maybe I've got linebacker responsibility in the flats and they're trying to pick off that pick off that slant route, pick off the smoke route or a quick screen. We know the Argos will run those plays uh, off, off blitzes, off blitzes to the boundary side. So that's what I'm trying to take advantage of. As the Ottawa defense, I need to do things to, to create tone or turnovers. I don't think Ottawa can win this game if both teams just play straight up. Barring injury, barring Chad Kelly not playing, if it's just Toronto playing their game, Ottawa playing their game, Toronto's going to win it. And so I have to take chances if I'm Ottawa. So I want to see robber coverages. I want to see, I want to see halfbacks, linebackers, jumping routes, disguising where they're going, looking for the interception, not looking for the big hit, not looking to confuse looking for the pick. And I think you're going to have to take some gambles. You have to take some risks. You're going to leave yourself vulnerable deep at times. But I think it's worth it for, for Ottawa's defense in terms of generating those, those turnovers, potentially generating a pick six. On to the good guys. Uh, the plan here for me as the Argos offense is really simple. Now, I'm going to assume first Chad Kelly is playing. I think you pick on the field side. I think there are weaknesses there. I actually really like Sherrod Baltimore as a corner. I, I don't think he met. First of all, I, I'm not sure Sherrod looks. The last time we saw Sherrod Baltimore playing corner, uh, he looked a, a, just a, a step faster uh, than he did uh, when we got to see him last week. I think there is vulnerability over to that side. And so for me, as the Argos, I'm going to start picking on not just Sherrod, but I think I'm picking on the entire field side and really trying to use that space. I'm also assuming Chad is healthy enough to do it and practicing full today. I think he is. I do move the pocket a little bit. Uh, first of all, we can eliminate some hits. We can put Chad in control of the situation, in control of where the rush is coming from. He can see guys in his face, knowing when to get rid of the ball. So I'm going to roll to the right side as much as I can, especially when that pairs up with the field, when you got field to the right, I roll Chad Kelly right. I'm looking for flood concepts that take advantage uh, of that field side and those field side DBs. I think Ottawa's team as a whole is pretty good. They're getting really nice play from Santos Knox. Their D-line is is impressive. Uh, I, I think you, you can't get away from the run game though either, especially early on. I think you want to establish that a little bit early just to take that extra pressure off Chad Kelly. And, and so there's not one particular area that I want to focus on here, but much like I did last week, 
in preparing for Calgary uh, and in preparing for, preparing for for uh, for Rose for for good defensive linemen, I think I run uh, this week um, right at Malden. I think that's who you target. You run right at him, and that's a great way of of taking a, a strength of Ottawa's and turning that into a liability because Malden is great at pursuing in terms of the run game. He's he's great at coming in on angles. He's not as good when you come right at him and you can initiate double teams. So that's what I do in the run game. I target Lorenzo Malden. Uh, in the passing game, I flood to the field side. Uh, oh, and just to add this in because we don't know for sure if it is Cam Dukes or, or Brian Scott, I think you absolutely have to uh, lean on the run game. And I think that's where you bring in your extra tight ends. You bring in six linemen and you try and power it. And if it's Dukes, you get Dukes rolling out on naked bootlegs. Use his legs. Brian Scott, I know he's not like a runner per se. He's a good athlete, though. I have Scott on the move, too. Um, and I know I, people have criticized his game in the past and said he's got still feet in the pocket. I haven't really seen that from Scott this year at practice and in the preseason as well. I felt like his movement is pretty good. And so we haven't had a chance to see him yet. If he gets on the field, I'd put him on the move too. Get these guys rolling, start challenging, start threatening uh, those those Ottawa Flats defenders to, to come up and make a play or to drop back and take those shallow outs and stuff like that. So if it's Dukes, if it's Scott, run, 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 roll them out of the pocket, send those boots, get those rollouts. That's what I want to see from the Toronto Argonauts offense. Lastly, Argos D. So much of what we've seen already, I'm not anticipating having Pickett out there. I, I want to see a defense that's going to show Crumb things he hasn't seen yet this year. They've done that so well. Toronto disguises better than any defense in the league. They are so good at looking like the blitz is coming from one place, only to have it come from somewhere else. Now, a lot of that is set up by Adarius Pickett. And so that is an issue. Missing Pickett this week, you're going to have to see some some savvy play from uh, the other halfbacks or from Stiggers or whoever else is is filling in, whether it's it's Robinson Daniel at Sam where they have Mechie there. And it, it's, you know, it didn't look as smooth last week as when Pickett was in. But uh, they're going to have to continue doing that same stuff. Confuse Crumb. The biggest key defensively for Toronto is the defensive line. So I don't want Toronto spying Crumb at all. Um, there are going to be a few plays, that's fine, but I don't want that to be part of the game plan. What I want instead is the defensive line has to contain him. They don't need to go after him and get sacks. What they need to do is they need to make sure he's not able to slip out between the defensive end and the defensive tackle. And it's happened to Toronto a lot this year. It happened a few times last week against Jake Mayer where he burned them with it, where a Remelade would take a really wide path around the edge. And he does that because oftentimes that generates sacks and pressures. It works well. Not this week. Sacks aren't the name of the game this week. Keep him in the pocket. Keep him from running. It's up to the front four to do that. Let the linebackers on a pass play worry about defending the middle. Let them worry about the other stuff. You've got to hold steady as the defensive line. So don't take a wide path. Don't get deeper than the the quarterback. And and look to pinch back in if he starts making a move. Again, we're not talking about 4-4 speed. You just can't give him a giant gap to go flying through because he will. That's we, he's shown that instinct that as soon as he sees something open up in the pass rush, he'll go through it and he's no longer looking to pass downfield. So the only exception to that, and this is another part of my defensive game plan, delayed blitzes, I think are interesting. Delayed secondary blitzes, delayed linebacker blitzes. And on those plays, I actually do want a wide pass from the, from the DNs. You're trying to bait Crumb into taking off through the B gap only to have a late bits blitzing black. <laughs> I'm late blitzing backer come through this. That's a tongue twister and uh, annihilate crumb and discourage him from running. So that's part of my my plan there too. So uh, that's how I look at OCDC this week. Uh, again, I can't wait to get JB back here for his portion of OCDC because it's it's so hard for me to think about the offense the defensive side of the ball when I'm also scheming offensively because I'm kind of taking away my own game plan so I'd much rather have his contributions here and he's obviously a way better DC than I am so yeah I can't wait to have him back in the mix 
how does this one I, oh no we're not into predictions yet so this is this is another reason i need jb so i have time to think uh while i'm planning this so yeah this is not predictions this is one thing my one thing for this week and and it's big for uh, for the argos offense i'm gonna i'm gonna split this into two if chad kelly does not start what I need from the Toronto offense is no turnovers, no interceptions, no fumbles, certainly no pick sixes. If there's no Chad Kelly, I do not want a turnover. If Chad Kelly does play, what I want is no sacks. I want Toronto to give the coaching staff confidence, not have them worrying mid-game, not having regretted their decision in sending Chad Kelly out there. No sack game. That's my one thing if Chad is in, which I expect him to be. If not, no turnovers. That's my one thing. Predictions. I'm not going to go with two predictions here. I'm just, again, I'm going to assume Chad Kelly's going to play. Uh, I, I think, I really feel like Toronto could blow the doors off Ottawa this week. No disrespect to the Ottawa team. I think they're good. Like I said earlier in the pod, I think this is going to be a Toronto team unlike anything else you've seen so far this year. I think they're going to come out absolutely on fire. Uh, I think it's going to be the opposite of what you saw last week where they looked a little bit flat, where Coach Dinwiddie uh, said they looked like they were sleepwalking. You're not going to get that this week. You're going to get a totally focused team and everybody will play to the level that they're expected to on paper. And so on paper, you look position by position. This should be a mismatch. I think it will be. So final score for me, I think the Argonauts win this one 40 to 13. Uh, That is my my prediction. That is my score. All right. Getting into put me down for 20. Uh, And before we we start into put me down for 20, uh, I just want to, uh, I want to remind you that while uh, placing a wager uh, can be fun. It's a great way to enhance your sports viewing experience. It's important to do so responsibly. Set a budget. Never bet more than you're happy to lose. Certainly don't take my advice seriously. I'm doing my best here, but I, I wouldn't want you betting your hard-earned money on, on my advice, uh, especially if it's anything more than something that's just for a little bit of entertainment value. And that is the purpose of this piece is entertainment value. So keep that in mind. And if you or anyone else develops a a gambling problem, please call the Ontario Problem Gambling Helpline, one 330 I had a good week last week. I uh, went two for two, and having started with 200 golden fleeces, I am now at 306 golden fleeces and change. Uh, and there's a couple of interesting ones this week. One of them is going to be a, a huge gamble that I take too. So first, I'm going to do my Toronto bet. Um, I'm going to put, uh, it's hard to get a, a solid line. They've been all over the place in the books this week because of the uncertainty with Chad Kelly. Once this line settles, no matter what it is, I'm taking the over this week. So I don't have a specific number, but I know we're going to be at minus 110 and I'm going to take that over. I'm going to put five units on that. And I say only five because, well, one, I'm pretty excited about the, the next gamble that I'm going to tell you about, but uh, two, because uh, five, I, I don't want to risk any more gold fleeces than that without the certainty that Chad Kelly's playing. Because if Chad Kelly's not playing, I no longer want that over. So you yourself may may factor that into you, to your decision. The other one, I'm taking the Edmonton Elks to beat the Winnipeg Blue Bombers outright. Do I think that will happen? No, but I think there's a chance. I think there's actually a pretty good chance. And I'm going to give you my rationale for that. This is the perfect storm for an upset of a great team this week. If it were anyone other than the Elks, I would feel very confident with an upset pick. The Elks, and part of me still can't believe I'm, I'm betting on the Elks because they've disappointed me on so many occasions this week. But everything lines up. It is the perfect storm. Think about Winnipeg where they are at emotionally right now. They're coming off their biggest win of the year. They crushed the BC Lions, who people had ranked ahead of them, who beat them last time that the two teams played. They not only went in there and beat BC, they crushed them. They're riding high. And now they got to go and play the lowly Elks. After Spending the entire bye week a couple of weeks ago prepping for BC and everything's just been BC, BC, BC. We gotta, we gotta uh, avenge our first loss. We gotta get out there and crush this team and actually do it 
I'm telling you, there's a letdown. Mike Hogan and I have talked on on the on the Argos Radio broadcast about the idea of a trap game. He's not a believer in trap games, and I totally get that that point of view. I am a believer in trap games. There is no bigger trap game than against the Elks this week. Not only is that going against Winnipeg, the Elks are going to be starting Ford, who everyone has been begging to see start. And Ford has a certain energy that he's going to add to that team. And they're coming off a bye. And I know this isn't applicable to Edmonton typically, but and they're at home. <laughs> and I know, I know that's not a selling point, but again, I'm adding up all the things that usually go into picking a huge upset. Team playing at home, team starting a new quarterback, which is going to give them some energy, team coming off a bye, going up against a team that will have so much trouble not overlooking them. And remember the Elks against Winnipeg last year in Edmonton when it was really tight. Zach Calera was completing nine passes, playing one of the worst games of his career. I don't know that we're going to see that. But I think you're going to see a really tight game from the Alex. So if you're not that confident, maybe take the points. But I think you go for it this week. I'm putting 15 golden fleeces for a huge payout on the Edmonton Elks. Time for uh, CFL picks. Uh, so last week, JB went 2-2 two and two last week. Uh, I went 3-1 and one last week. The one I missed was Toronto. I did not foresee the Chad Kelly injury, obviously, or the Adarius Pickett injury, for that matter. Uh, I had the Argos winning that one. Uh, the rest uh, all came through, uh, Winnipeg, Montreal, and Saskatchewan. So with that 3-1, and one, I'm now 23-12. and 12. JB is 22-13 and 13 on the season. Here are my picks for this week. Winnipeg at Edmonton. Uh, I told you, I'm, I'm going for it. I'm taking the Elks. Uh, and I gave you my whole rationale in the last segment, so I don't need to go into more detail. Saskatchewan against Montreal. I don't think there is any way Cody Fajardo and Coach Moss allow Saskatchewan to win this game. I kind of think Saskatchewan's a slightly better team. A slightly better team. Definitely a better team with Trevor Harris. But without Trevor Harris, I still think they've got it a little bit. Montreal at home and Cody Fajardo. I know. Cody Fajardo is just, he's not, he's just not going to let it happen. Saskatchewan will keep it close. They'll be in it at the end. It's going to be a, a crushing loss, I think, for, for the riders. Uh, but I just can't see Fajardo allowing them to, to win this. Harris would have changed it around because then it would have been going on both sides. But yeah, it's it's not going to happen. Montreal wins this one. It, it's close, but they win it. Calgary at BC. I, I got BC in this one. I think similar to Toronto. Uh, BC's coming off a loss in which they were embarrassed last week. Uh, they did not look themselves at all. Uh, they had trouble moving the ball. They didn't look good, even remotely good defensively. I wouldn't be surprised to see BC come in and just absolutely lay it on uh, the uh, the Calgary Stampeders. Calgary's not a bad team. You know, you saw what they can do last week, but, you know, that wasn't your normal Argos squad either. So I expect the Lions at home um, to... I, I, I'm expecting double digits uh, in this win. And then I have Toronto over Ottawa in the last game uh, of the week. Uh, before we wrap up here, uh, I'm hoping to see you out at BMO Field for this one. Mike Hogan and I will be up in the broadcast booth. Uh, you can catch our pregame show at 6.30. It's a 7.30 start Sunday night. Make sure you get it to BMO Field if you can. And tune us in from BMO Field. Wave to us up in the booth. We'd love to see you out there. One of our favorite things to do, check all the jerseys that are down in front of us. See who's wearing who. Uh, so, yeah, bring your jersey. Uh, maybe buy a new Argos jersey. They look fantastic. Uh, it's the most affordable night of entertainment that you can get in the city of Toronto. I got my full, whole family coming out, so uh, that'll be a good one. It's been forever. Come out and support your Toronto Argonauts. There are still some some good seats available. Uh, check out Argonauts.ca. That will just about do it for us on this pregame walkthrough edition of the X's and Argos podcast. For the vacationing JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. Go Toronto Argos, go, go, go. Pull together, fight the fight.